Welcome to the Scuff Podcast, where we talk about U.S. soccer. We are going to talk about grassroots soccer today, the foundation of the organism, American soccer, that produces the national teams we root for. First, let me introduce our guests. It's going to take a second. Jesse Howe is a longtime friend of Scuffed. He and I both made an appearance in the national anthem behind the crest video from the time we restored Dosa Cero in Cincy that rainy November night. He's a huge fan of the men's and women's national teams, a world traveler, and the assistant director of coaching for the Calvert Soccer Association about an hour south of D.C. Thanks, Bell. Longtime supporter, fan of the pod, love everything y'all put out. I'm not able to participate in the Discord as much these days, but devour every episode, preach the scuff gospel to all who will listen. Thank you, man. And you're also the guy who's, who sent Vince the mentality tweet poster, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, it had to be done. He's yet to put it above his fireplace, but... Uh... <laughs> whether, it, whether it hangs in his, his house or not is, is not the issue. The fact that it got the laugh and the smile is kind of what I was going for. And then we also have Kirk Kinsey, who hosts the Counter Press, an LAFC podcast, but perhaps more importantly for our purposes today, he is the director of the Flagstaff Revolution, a kind of unique club in Arizona that manages to pull off pretty sophisticated training at a low cost to players and families, as I understand it. Hey, Kirk. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Bells. Um, I'm happy to be on. We do. I am the director of Flagstaff Revolution, uh, really proud of the club and especially the kids for how far they've come. Uh, we've been running it for about five years now. And uh, it's been fun to watch kids that didn't, you know, weren't footballers before. And if you just put them in the right environment, then they, they tend to take to the training and start to love the game. So uh, happy to be here. I have to say that I told my kids last night uh, that I was coming on the show and they did, were mad that they had to go to school because they wanted to try and make a cameo. So... <laughs> <laughs> they went cool. to school though so we're not gonna have yeah, any interruptions it's good. it's good for them to be at school you know um i've been thinking about how to frame this episode as and as we got closer to it i, I realized it just there's so much to talk about like so many weight directions we could go so it's just gonna have to be sort of three of us here we all love the game we're all coaching or helping coaches at the youth level we've got maryland georgia and arizona represented and we're just going to talk about some ideas to make grassroots soccer better. Does that sound okay to you guys? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of how I mentioned previously, Bells, I think we've got macro and micro level conversations in which we can really touch on. On the macro youth level, soccer um, in general is like in a bit of crisis mode. Participation is at an all-time low. Historically, travel teams are exploding. Serving wealthier communities with those D1 scholarship aspirations. Meanwhile, poverty-stricken America has rates of youth sports participation that are absolutely plummeting. So on a micro level, we're also focused on the style of the game. What we can do right here and now is youth soccer leadership representing Maryland, Georgia, and Arizona to push U.S. soccer as a whole up towards that top tier, of which we all aspire, of course, along the likes of France, Brazil, England. Yeah. Seems a long ways away, though, doesn't it? certainly does. Okay. Well, Jesse, you just got back from a symposium in Minneapolis, a grassroots soccer symposium put on by U.S. Youth Soccer, right? What was the focus there? What is, what is the federation trying to get people or trying to help people get done, I guess I should say? 
Yeah, that's right, Bill. So I flew to the Twin Cities, your old stomping grounds, if I remember correctly, this past weekend. Um, before we start, I wanted to ask both of you, how would you would define grassroots soccer? Kirk. Yeah, so grassroots soccer for me is definitely younger ages, so probably U12 and below, um, oftentimes recreational, just like the entry level to the sport, right? Um, and then I think uh, there's like another level to it where you could say like grassroots clubs. And that's how I qualify my, my club where we don't have, we don't have an academy. We don't have something like we don't have a place for kids that are about to turn pro to go, right? So any of that, like if you don't have a professional academy, I consider you a grassroots club. Um, that's my own thing, but I'm sure people quibble with that as they quibble with many things. Yeah, no, I mean, I, uh, the definition that's been in my head is recreational soccer for the younger ages, like be it, like you said, b- below U12, but I'm not sure if that's the correct definition. <laughs> so I would agree with both of you, um, at the most part, you know, I, I think grassroots, um, could replace the nomenclature of recreational soccer eventually. I wouldn't mind that happening. I think, unfortunately, rec in some circles has negative connotations. I mean, there's, there's kids that really aspire to those travel teams and academies and such, and some are even teased and made fun of by their, their, by their peers because they're playing rec soccer, and there shouldn't be you know, um, any yeah. negative connotations that go along with that as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So what, what, were, what, was the, what were the themes? What were the big themes there? Yeah. Can I lead off with a boots on the ground segment, please, first, Bells? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Love these. You know, I love it when, you know, usually Vince is kind of having these and occasionally Tara. So I went to the, um, the Minnesota United versus San Jose game on Saturday night. And I'm not sure if it was the weekend symposium was play, pre-planned around a Loon's home game. But the organizers offered every attendee a free ticket. They put 20 bucks of food and bev on each ticket. They rented out the entire roof deck. They had three full buses coming to and from the game. So an awesome time, to say the least. Um, and I should preface this by saying that I'm, I'm fairly agnostic when it comes to club soccer. I'm much more interested, like you are, Bells, in the national team programs, the pipeline, the player pool. So I was, you know, before... Going there, I was like, all right, San Jose, can't wait to see Cade Cal line up on the left wing. This is going to be cool. <laughs> Watched him in the U20 World Cup. Like, all right, let's see what this guy's going to pull. Get there, settle in, um, you know, chat with some, some really nice guys from, from Oregon and um, start, you know, pull up the FOT mob. And I see that's Matthew Hoppy on the left wing, actually. And I'm like, wait a minute. I had no idea that actually that he was joined MLS and playing for San Jose. Also, we had Jackson Ewell, Will Trapp. So this group was lovingly referred to as my, by my partner, Amanda, as the USMNT cast-offs Classico, which there I enjoyed. <laughs> um, Timu Puki up top as well, which I know is a, a Norwich legend and a, a walkie fave. So anyhow, true to form, Hoppy got into a shoving scrap with a San Jose defender about 15 minutes in, missed a golden clear-cut opportunity 20 minutes later, but it was pretty active throughout. And... Um, Cade had a great chance in the 67th on a little tidy buildup from Hoppy just outside the box. Um, he would have had the hockey assist, assist if the Cal shot had gone in. Um, but very entertaining. A 1-1 draw, plenty of opportunities on goal, and just got to give a shout-out to, to live soccer. It was just a great experience sitting there, taking in the action, beer in one hand, brat in the other. It's awesome. Nice. Yeah, that's a, it's a great stadium, isn't it? And um... I wouldn't mind seeing Timu Puki in the flesh. You know, he's he's a little washed for Norwich now, but I, he's still he's still he still knows how to ball. Um, 
So get, tell us, tell us, thank you for that boots on the ground. I'm the, I'm the only one at scuffed who doesn't have boots. So my boots are never <laughs> on the ground. So, um, uh, but, but tell me, tell us what, like, if you can sort of summarize, like what's the overall direction of what they're trying to get across at a symposium like this? Absolutely. So, um, this is my first time at one of these events. Um, so I really came in to it with, um, a really open mind. Um, there was folks there at every level of youth soccer from all the state organizations, um, from USYS on a national level, you know, app developers and former coaches and former players and, and everyone, everything, but almost 200 attendees. So really, really well attended. And on the whole, it was, it was really fantastic symposium conference, however you want to call it. Learned a lot, made a ton of connections. Um, but there was zero talk about possession-oriented play, building out of the back, you know, all these grassroots soccer, soccer topics that the three of us are extremely familiar with and kind of would want to talk about. Hmm. Um, so more focus was on inclusivity, um, mental health, access, transportation. I'm going to go ahead and read just a few titles, um, workshop titles from the symposium right now. So shaping your community, team culture, conflict, and leadership. A new coach's starter pack. That was a good one. I'll talk about that later. Creative approaches to grassroots growth. Um, and then some other things that you might imagine. Reimagining youth development, a referee opportunity. Um, a lot, some other workshops are really geared towards nonprofit fundraising, which definitely struck a chord with me, such as, um, let's see here, conversations with purpose and payoff. Just kind of like fundraising and such. So. Yeah. So like kind I of said, an administrative focus almost like yeah, yes. this is for the administrators of the recs and the clubs. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I don't want to, I wasn't there at the conference, uh, but I do feel like a lot of times when we, when you attend these kind of things, it is a little bit lofty. It's all, and it is focused on administration and, um, you know, leadership. And I think that's great. Like I, I'm sure all, I'm sure there was, good information and the people that are doing them that are running these courses are earnest, but I do feel like there's a lack of like very pointed and practical things. So like, like Jesse, you said, like, how do I teach my kids to build build out of the back? Right. What do my kids need to know to do before I can teach them that? And granted, there's probably not a whole lot of actual coaches there. So it's geared towards more of the bureaucratic uh, side, but I feel like at some point we have to bridge that gap between those lofty conversations and just practical things. And maybe that's my, my real answer for what grassroots soccer is, is just like the boots on the ground, right? Who's, who's actually running the trainings? Who's actually providing things that are practical? And I think as I've kind of looked for different things for my club and our rec program, our grassroots program, I should say, sorry, Bells. Uh, it's that, okay. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. That, um, sometimes the training courses are the same way where it's like, oh yeah, well, this is kind of how you structure a training session, but they never actually give you like, if you want a kid to be able to receive the ball across their body and keep their, keep their hips oriented to the field, this is what you need to train them in, with. Um, so uh, sorry, that's a bit of an aside, but, uh, well, yeah, it gets to the, you know, it gets to like, a, a, maybe the main point for me, which is like, if you're not if you're, even if you're doing all this, I mean, inclusivity is, is super important. We talk about it all the time. Yeah. You know, mental health is important. Access is important, of course. But like if the, tri if what happens in practice is kids are playing red light, green light without a ball or <laughs> running laps, 
Yeah. Uh, it's like it all kind of is pointless. You know, they're not going to love soccer. I mean, they, some of them might, against all odds, learn to love soccer. Of course, that'll happen. But generally speaking, that's a that's not a good recipe. And it, even if everything else is perfectly in line, it's not going to work. So we gotta like we gotta get down to the brass tacks a little bit. I love that. And I, I completely agree with that with both of you. Um, but first bells, you know, if we don't fix some of those issues, right. And, and get that retainment of our younger athletes, you know, progressing through the pyramid and enjoying the game. Um, then we're not going to even have to worry about inclusivity or mental health because right. we're not necessarily even going to have the athletes at that older level. Um, and I agree right. with and kind of what Kirk was saying a little bit earlier as well, that there are some of these really lofty aspirations that come up at these, these types of events. Yeah. And it feels, it feels, go ahead, Kirk. Oh, well, I was just going to say, like, I think that's part of the reason that the pyramid is the way that it is, right? Because the base isn't well fleshed out and there's just not a whole lot of opportunities for kids to, or for coaches, volunteers, whoever, to learn those things that the people that can bridge the gap between the bottom of the pyramid and the top of the pyramid are the ones that can go hire a personal trainer for their kid or parents that are just home with their kids all the time and can... Mm do the Tom Byer stuff, right? Where they can train with the ball at home. Um, so for me, like part of building a more inclusive system is just pushing down training. Um, now it's much easier said than done because then you have people who, who are resistant to, uh, to the help, right? To being told here, here's something that you can do, right? Because now there's adult egos involved, but. Right. Um, Nobody wants to be told what to do. Right. And that's a, that's a real challenge. Two things I want to just nip in the bud real quick. The Tom Byers thing. I've had, I have people on Twitter say, just send everybody a copy of Tom Byers book. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever like tried to send a book to somebody or recommended a book to anybody, even a close friend? A family yeah, member? That doesn't work. Nobody wants to read a book somebody else tells them to read. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. Like <laughs> you're going to get like 0.05% conversion rate on that. It's not going to work. No, sending Tom Byers book to people is not going to do anything. Um, and number two, I have a working theory and I, I, I suspect you probably both agree with me, but I'm just going to float it before we get into some, some sort of structural details about the situations you're both in, uh, is that if you can teach a kid to control the ball from U6 to U10. So if they, if they get to the point where they are comfortable with the ball, they make the ball do what they want it to do, which is just an absolutely freeing development in a, in a person's life. You know, I mean, at least in, in a soccer sense, when a, when a kid realizes that they can make the ball do what they want, changes their whole, like their whole orientation towards the game, I think. If we can get that from U6 to U10, which I think we can with not that much adjustment, of the of the way these practices are run then we can get kids from u10 to u14 to to be able to rondo and if you can rondo and enjoy rondoing as an 11 year old my guess is you're gonna love soccer for the rest of your life maybe what i'm thinking about is like a long play you know if we can just develop a generation of people who love soccer for the rest of their lives then they can, they'll Tom Byers with their kids when they have their kids 20 years from now. You know, we can't force people to do that. Completely agree. I think, you know, breaking it down into these really manageable, small, minute goals and something that I could bring to my coaches during my edge coaches training and say, this is, this is the one thing I'm going to look when I visit your practices to see if, you know, for mastery and for practice um, at the U7, at the U8, at the U9, at the U10 level, and just give them, you know, a few really succinct bullet points. Like 
you said, ball mastery, right? You know, yeah. and then we'll, we can talk a little bit more what that looks like and kind of expand on that. But right. having that overarching goal is important. Yeah. And I, I do feel that like this is, this is where grassroots misses it most of the time because we're talking about coaches who are just parents. They're, they're uh, willing to volunteer. So they do. They have the time or whatever, but they don't always have the know-how, right? Um, they're lovely people, but they just, they've never played or they played and what they did at soccer practice when they were a kid in the 90s was they passed the ball to a coach, the coach laid it off and they ran on and shot only on their dominant foot, right? And then they went back and they got their ball, they went back and stood in line and then they kept ripping shots at the keeper in that, in that uh, sequence. But Kids do enjoy that drill for what it's worth. <laughs> oh, so much. They, they love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm with Jesse on like, you have to master and, and you, Bells, you said it too. Like you have to do some ball mastery at the beginning, but nobody knows what that looks like just off the top of their head. You have to, you have to be taught. You have to be shown. Um, and there are plenty of materials out there. You can go to Corver. You can go, there's a, there's a hundred different places where you can go to get that stuff. But a volunteer parent isn't going to go spend $400 to learn about, all right, well, what does Corver do? Like, what are all their games and what, like, what's their philosophy on how to teach kids to do this? No. So the organizations have to do it. But again, you run into the problem where they're staffed by volunteers too. So they don't, they don't really know. Yeah. There has to be some kind of like perfect overlap of useful and, uh, you know, implementable that, uh, I don't think it has been, yeah discovered yeah. yet uh let's talk about let's talk about what what the situations you guys are in because they're they're both unique in a certain way but they you know they're, it'll help us understand where you guys are coming from the calvert soccer associate association jesse how did that get started how is it funded it's 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 rec soccer but it's also um there's also a club and academy component how did what what is that is it like a local municipality started it or what what's going on yeah, great question. So it is just soccer. It doesn't encompass any other sports, first off. And so CSA, Calvert Soccer Association, it's a volunteer nonprofit um, organized in 1984. And, you know, with a mission that we're all familiar with, providing an opportunity for the youth of Calvert County to play soccer. So it's a, a 501c3 nonprofit funded almost entirely by registration fees, which are kept quite low, in my opinion. That's $99 for either a fall or a spring season then another $45 for a uniform kit, which can be used for several years. Um, as far as numbers go, in the spring, it's about 1,050 rec athletes. Ooh. And that's from about, let me think, so that's a U6 to U18, actually. It goes all the way through high school. We have that. Um, uh, about 250 travel. Um, and that's from U8 up. And then 80 junior academy, um, of which I'm currently a coach for the U7, U8 team combined in the fall with my son. Um, and then with a really healthy dose of U4 Tykes program and a U5 Futures program as well. So we're talking close to, um, you know, f probably 15, 16, 1700 athletes. Robust. I mean, that's, that's a, you're in a position of some great influence there. Absolutely. So how do you, um, I mean, I want to hear, uh, do the whole same thing with you, Kirk, but just, just yeah. real quick, Jesse. And if you have any questions for Jesse, jump in, but like, how do you, how do you do coaching training? Do, do coaches in, and I'm mostly concerned about the rec portion here. Mm -hmm. How do you, do they have to do a certain kind of training 
or how does that work? So what we've, I've, I've kind of tried a couple of different methods and I'm open to ideas as well along the lines of this conversation, because I don't think I've found the perfect formula yet. As we've already discussed, um, at the grassroots slash rec level, um, we're typically bringing in the parents of the kids, um, you know, when we can wrangle someone in, um, oftentimes it's, it's last minute, you know, we have to send that email out or even make that call and say, Hey, your son or your daughter's team is not going to play this season if we don't get somebody. Um, so, um, that's kind of like the baseline, unfortunately. So going back to your question about, um, training. So at the beginning of the season, we offer a, a Saturday prior, um, morning session at our pitch and just kind of going over really the fundamentals of how to run the play practice play, um, curriculum that we follow. Um, we try to give them some, some ideas and we try to take, um, the, you know, some of the trepidation out of the equation that many of them feel going into this. Um, although we're an hour south of DC, this is not a, a soccer hotbed by any means. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a world away, um, culturally. Um, and it's, you know, it's a as land as, of land of crab feasts and cornfields, <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. There's plenty of both of that. Absolutely. Um, but it's just, it's a different, it's a different equation than what we, when a lot of people think of them, they think, oh, like DCU soccer, like Rush, like DC United Academy. That's not what we're dealing with in my parts. Okay. Um, so development, what I've actually, what I did this past fall, which we had, we have much smaller numbers in the fall is that I just invited coaches out to my junior academy practices and we start a week prior. So it was really easy for them to come out and do so because they didn't have any evening, um, practice conflicts. And I kind of did it just like I would do a teacher training because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a former um, elementary educator. I had them, you know, just kind of follow me around, ask questions when they needed. And I would talk to the kids and then I would give, you know, I would talk to my group of coaches and say, this is why I'm doing this. Right. Or I would preface my comments to the kids with saying, you know, this is why I'm going to do that. And then I would just try once again, try to take the biggest thing is trying to take the trepidation factor out of it because a lot of them are just extremely nervous. They have no idea. They don't have a soccer background. They don't have a coaching background. They don't have a teaching background. And they're like, what am I going to do with this group of seven-year-olds for the next hour? And I just yeah. say, this is easy, right? They show up, you get there early. You know, we've got small-sided fields. You throw them in automatically. The first kid who comes in, you know, he's, you know, he's just kind of practicing a little ball mastery. That's generally the coach's kid. The next kid who comes in, that's going to be 1v1. Another kid who comes in, that's 2v1. And I'm just, you know, I'm greeting parents and greeting children as they arrive as well. And then, you know, all up until a 3v3 game is playing, we get more kids and we've got a second field, keeping it really small-sided. And one thing I think, and we'll talk about this later in our conversation, I'm sure, that has been missing from this entire equation is that, that pickup soccer, um, that freedom of expression um, that Brazil has, that England has, that a lot of these, you know, top-notch soccer countries have that we just don't have here it's so organized right in my opinion um so giving them the opportunity at the beginning of practice i think is really important and then once again i'm talking about coaches training here and then throughout you know giving them a few different activities and i just try to frame it at the grassroots level as we're playing games with a soccer ball right we're playing sharks and minnows or any mil of the million variations with a soccer ball we're playing tag with a soccer ball for the really young athletes, we're playing red light, green light, or Simon says with a soccer ball and making sure that they understand that every activity should always involve a ball at an athlete's foot 
always, even if they're running to go get a drink of water, they should be dribbling over and then dribbling mm. back to the group. Um, and then in a do the coaches the buy in? Do, the, do they buy into that? Like, do they mostly do that? Um, so at least at the training, I will say it's, it is a bit of a revelation for them. And it, I feel like there is, you know, a, a why, like a feeling of relief, I, visible relief washes over many of them. And they're like, oh, this isn't so bad. Like, I can do this. Like, I can set up fields and get them playing and then have a couple of games for 30 minutes in the middle and then come back together and then talk about what we're going to, you know, um, the skills that we practice during our games. We're going to try to utilize those in our, in our practice ending scrimmage as well. So I've had a ton of success and that's the model I'm going to do from here on out, bringing them in early, coming to my practice, and then allowing them to ask questions. Jesse, do you think, so, it, sorry, like a light bulb just went off for me because we, we have the same thing where it's like, you know, emailing people the night before a game, <laughs> your kid's not playing tomorrow because there's no coach. So somebody has to step up. Um, but one thing that you said was that they feel a lot of relief once they come to your training. Maybe that may like maybe that's part of the solution here is that we have to have organizations that put together these materials. And again, we're talking about volunteers, so it's hard to do, but that put together a video and send it out and be like, listen, I know you're nervous about coaching because you feel like you don't know the game. Because you don't. But you don't need to know the game to introduce a little chaos and have one kid on one ball and set up some cones and let them play a silly game. Um, do you think that might help the situation? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, having that script and having that kind of top to bottom approach and giving them those tools that they need for success um, is of utmost importance. Yeah. I mean, I want to get into more about how you, how you get that message, how you deliver that message and what exactly that message is. But first let's talk, let's Kirk, what's you, what's the structure of Flagstaff Revolution? How, yeah. What's the genesis of it? You said it's five years old. Give us the, the whole uh, picture there. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of similar to Jesse's situation where, um, so we are part of AYSO Region 257, which is like all of Northern Arizona um, and, and like the Grand Canyon region. Uh, we have about 800 kids that play in our rec program. We have, we have a summer league that we run. Uh, it's really snowy here in Flagstaff. Uh, so like we can't, we, can't, we can't play in the winter. So we have a summer rec season that we do. And then during the, uh, during like the traditional club season, which is basically the school season, right? Um, the school year, I should say. Uh, we, we run a program called Flagstaff Revolution. It was kind of a program uh, that was a bit defunct. AYSO has this thing that they call their extra program, which is where like you'll take an all-star team and you'll go play in a couple tournaments or something like that. And we saw an opportunity, me, me and a friend of mine, uh, his name is Jacob Garcia, great, great leader, um, loves the game, and he's been a huge help through all this. But we saw an opportunity to say, you know what, we're just going to turn this program that was called Flagstaff Revolution into a fully functioning club. And we're going to have birth your teams. We're going to like annually like bring in new coaches, new teams, new, you know, whoever it is new players, and we're going to try and bring those players back and install an actual curriculum. Um, so we are a positional play club. All of our coaches go to uh, Tovo training from Todd Bean, who's the son-in-law of Johan Cruyff. Um, so we send all of our coaches to that training to make sure that they are well-versed. That's kind of like how we bridge the gap between that. Uh, all of our coaches have memberships to 343, which is another great like positional play uh, 
source of material. I found that 343 is a little bit more advanced for some of the kids, uh, whereas Tovo is like a few levels down from that and a little bit more accessible for new coaches. But once they get going, the 343 materials really, um, really start to help you, a lot more. You sort of layer it on once the once they're yeah, already yeah. cooking. And it's all, it's all, you know, this is all just, you know, we have 13 teams and about 185 kids in this program. Um, so it's easy enough for me and, and, and Jacob and a couple others of the, a couple other experienced coaches to be like, Hey, you are, you know, you're now U 11, you're moving to nine on nine. Here's some things that you can start working on. So we just kind of like help each other out with it. Um, and do you pay the coaches? Do you pay the coaches? No, no, all? they're not paid. It's all, it's all volunteer. Um, so, I mean, that's, that is a challenge, um, because it's, it's back to that same thing, right? People that volunteer to coach are, are parents or just in it for the, for the pure love of the game. Um, but they have day jobs, they have other things that they're doing. So, yeah. Um, but you've developed at least locally a brand where like people know what they're signing up for when they sign up their kids. Definitely. So um, we, there's we already, a lot. A, but go ahead. Sorry. Oh, so there, I started with my 2010 boys in 2019. That was like the first year. So we're now in our fifth year. Um, and they, you know, we, I, I was, I was a new coach and just looking at like, I didn't like the other club offering in town. So it was kind of like, all right, I need to, I need to do something. And I kind of have uh, a bit of inferiority complex myself. Whereas like, I don't know what I'm doing. I need to go learn all these things. And uh, I think, I think the, the term that everybody's using now is sicko, right? Where I was just like, I had to read more and more and more and this book and this program and whatever. And so I just kept pulling materials and the boys kept getting better and better. And so that we kind of recruited off the back of them. And now our younger teams are doing so much more at a younger age. Um, you have U6, you have U6 age level now? Uh, we are down to, yeah, we do have U6. Our U6s, U7s, and U8s all train in like a co-ed academy program where it's just, you know, it's 30 kids on a field and it's just one kid, one ball, all ball mastery. That's it. Um, if they play three by three or three V three by the end of the year, awesome. But what we really want is just them on the field. Uh, Tom Byring it, right? <laughs> like we, we invite the parents out onto the field and like, that's kind of where we teach them how to teach their kids. But, ah, yeah. what do you, how do you, so look, real quick, how do you, how does that work? What do you do? You invite the parents on the field to do what? Yeah. Exactly? So, I mean, I think some of this stuff is as easy as like you give the parent a cone or a ball or something to throw and you tell their kid to go dribble around it and come back. Right. And then that's teaching them to take the ball, take small touches, turn around the cone or whatever, and then they bring it back and you throw it somewhere else. Right. Or one of the favorite games that we play in that, in that one, this may be a, a little bit too pointed, but where I'm explaining individual <laughs> exercises. I, I but, like it. Yeah. Uh, my favorite one to play with young kids is I call it ouch. And the coach is in the middle of the field and there's 30 kids and 30 balls. And the coach is just walking or running around the field, depending on the skill level. And they just shoot at the coach. And when they hit you, you just yell, ouch, really loud. Yeah. And you make a big show of it. Sometimes you fall over and the kids love it. And they're learning to follow you. They're learning to look up at you and kick the ball in that direction, right? They're learning to shoot accurately. Uh, all hit, a move, and, hit a moving target. Yeah. And they don't, they don't know it. They don't, it's like kind of the sneaky way to... <laughs> to train kids to do all these little individual skills. But like Jesse was saying, 
it's one kid, one ball, the ball. This is something that I talk a lot about when I train our rec coaches in the summer is like the ball ratio has to be better. If the ball ratio is screwed up, then you're screwing over 20 kids on the field. Like if you, like when we all used to play when we were kids, it was 22 kids on a field, right? 11 V 11 on a full size field. Um, and a bunch of nine-year-olds trying to like run around and get the ball. Like no wonder everybody was playing bunch ball. Total Um, chaos. Yeah. But, um, yeah. One-to-one ratio. Yeah. Fix the ball ratio. That's, that's one thing that we've implemented. This is, this is like of all the feathers in my cap, this might be the most, the one that I'm most proud of is in our rec program, I was able to convince the board to go to seven V seven only. So we'll go from four V four to seven V seven. And they play that until they're 18. Um, Hmm. it makes it easier to handle the resources because now we don't need as much field space. Uh, but again, it fixes that ball ratio. And when you're talking about grassroots players, you're not talking about kids who understand the intricacies of an inverting or an overlapping fullback anyway. So like, let's eliminate that stuff and just put 14 kids on the field instead of 22, for example. And that would also, I mean, if everybody, you know, if, if U.S. soccer from on high mandated this, we're going to play 7v7 until people are 17 or 18 years old, that would also uh, increase the number of teams in every locality, right? There'd be yeah. more teams, less travel, more accessibility for uh, everybody. Because that becomes a real problem, too, when, like, all the good players are going traveling every weekend in a, from yeah. a town. And then you don't have a critical mass in that locale for that is available to people who can't afford to be on a travel team. Yeah. And I think this is what we've done here, right? One thing I want to be cautious of is like not being overly prescriptive for people, right? Like 7v7 might be it for us, but where Jesse's at, it might be 5v5 or somebody might only have six players. Like that's, again, going back to the whole grassroots thing. If you have six players, the grassroots solution is to play three on three, right? And just, just go with it. Like, that's fine just get the kids playing um and that's all at a rec level so with a revolution program we run a little bit differently it's all structured lockstep with all the other clubs uh in the state but um yeah so kirk what do you think is um i mean we've we've touched on a, a few of the elements of this already but let's get let's get right at it what is what does the ideal rec soccer program look like yeah, so uh, I, 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 you don't want to be overly prescriptive, but right, right, but, uh, and I, but I appreciate you trying to tease it out. Um, for me, I think, I think the big thing with with rec soccer is that it's got to be worthwhile, right? And going back to what Jesse said, where a lot of times people make fun of kids because they play rec soccer because the one time they went there, these club players, for example, it was total, it was just disorganization. Uh, nobody knew what was going on. There were players out there that had never touched a ball before, uh, except for the five times that their number came up in the layoff shooting drill with the coach. Um, and so I, I do think it takes a little bit of, of effort from the volunteers that run it to make it worthwhile. And to me, that, that mostly just means reliable. You know that every Saturday you're going to have a game. You know that when you get there, the fields are going to be set up and that there's going to be another team that's there to play you. right? And so it, do, it does take some organization to, to make it happen, but then they also need to be focused on the right things, right? So um, beyond just the, like the 
administrative organization, you have to then teach them the right things. And so from three to five, like we're talking about, it's all ball mastery. One kid, one ball, no exceptions, right? If they play one-on-one with some pugs, awesome. That's great. If they play two-on-two, now we're like really getting somewhere for for me. Uh, And then six to eight, you start to add a little bit more. I I would prefer if they played three-on-three, not four-on-four, but I'm willing to go with U.S. soccer on that one. Um, and again, I think, I think you really have to be selling it to the coaches and to the parents all along the way, why it is that that is structured this way, because there are parents of seven-year-olds out there who are going to come and they'd be like, why don't we play 11 and be 11? Like we should be doing that. This is, this is what, this is what they watch on TV. This is, so it takes somebody or multiple people really within the organization to be selling it to both the parents and the coaches along the way. And then nine to 12 is when you go seven V seven and you start to implement some more complex concepts. But I feel like those three phases are so distinct in what the kids need to develop that it's like a separate education that needs to take place. So a separate education for coaches and then parents for three to five, and then the same thing for six to eight or six to nine, whatever, however you want to chop it up. And then nine to 12. And then I think you have players coming out of a rec program at that point that can handle, like you talked about, Bells, going positional play or whatever, whatever style. Like we chose positional play because that's what I like and that's what I want to coach. That's what I want my kids playing. But you could, you could go with Brazilian relationism as far as I care. I, I, I don't care what you do, but have a curriculum, have something that you stick to. But if you don't have the bottom of the pyramid fixed, then you're going to have kids going into those programs with no idea what to do with the ball right yeah i mean you can't teach somebody i mean just to stick with positional play you can't teach somebody to rondo if they can't control the ball you know yeah so we do it when that when you come up against that right you have to stay in a 4v0 rondo for a long time which is incredibly boring to put kids in a square and say pass the ball to the guy next to you okay now pass it back oh you didn't receive across your body now you're going to be corrected right so now pass it back and get it back again okay, now you need to be shuffling side to side, but there's no pressure. There's, so it's not, it's not a game for them. It's just like, I'm just standing here getting yelled at, right? Yeah. That Passing a ball back don't and like forth that. wrong. Yeah. Go ahead, Jesse. Yeah. So I just like to speak a little bit to that. Thank you, Kirk. Um, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, tell a story that I heard at that symposium this past weekend in Minneapolis. And this is from one of the presenters. And he talked about being a first-year teacher in New York City public schools. And kind of took this like boot camp type summer course to get, you know, those teachers ready for the classroom because they just needed bodies in the classrooms. And his entire first month, maybe in his first year, all he was wanted, all he was begging for from administration was like a script, you know, and just wanted to just tell me what I'm going to say in this. And then I'm going to say in this, and then I'm going to say in this moment. Um, And I actually think for a lot of our grassroots volunteer coaches, that's what they need. And I know like we're talking about getting away from this kind of prescriptive approach. Um, but I think that many of them um, are so far down the line of what, you know, the knowledge that the three of us have gained over the years and the fanaticism, some might say, that the three of us share um, in a positive way, um, that they just, they just have no idea where to start. So I think having that program, giving them the tools to say, this is your baseline. This is exactly what you're going to do on day number one. Right. These are your cues, um, you know, making it like very succinct and, and straightforward. Um, but I think that is something that we could try to develop and put out there for our coaches that just don't have a clue. Yeah. 
And I, I would add to that, that like the good news about the way you broke it up, Kirk, the three to five being just all, all one ball, one kid, and then six to eight, basically the same one ball, one kid. Let's do some three V three, four V four if we can. Um, that's not that difficult to pull off, you know, no. like that's not rocket science. Most people can do that, can set up a practice to accomplish those goals. If they just, um, get a little nudge in the right direction, you know, and right. maybe the nudge in the right direction is an actual script, like do this drill, do the, you know, have them play three V three as soon as practice starts. Kirk, you may disagree with that, but then, um, I mean, I, I am kind of curious what you get, what you think of the play practice play model. Yeah. If you have, a, um, so I think play practice play, um, is a, is a good place to start. We don't, we don't run that with our club kids at this point for us. It's more of, um, on the club side, that is, it's, it's a bit more pointed, right? So we will do some sort of Rondo. Uh, and when I say Rondo, I mean, I mean like a 4v2, uh, 5v3 type of thing, or maybe like a double Rondo where there's a transition moment in there. And then we'll move to an actual positional game where it's like five on five plus four, the, or a lot of times people call it the Man City or the Barcelona Rondo, the 4v4 plus three. Um, and we'll do that for 20 minutes and then we'll move on to like a tactical application. So like the four V four plus three, for example, if you look at it and this is like how I sell positional play to people, if you look at it, you'll see that the two along the base are center backs and the two neutrals out wide are fullbacks. And the one in the middle is a six and the two above that are attacking mid. So you're setting up a team to play in a four, four, three, right? And they, they can possess the ball around four players with their three forwards up ahead. So all you're doing is attracting pressure and playing the ball through, right? Um, so that's what I mean by like a positional game where it's like kind of an expanded, it looks like a Rondo, it smells like a Rondo, but it's a little bit more pointed. And, and it's, That's the Tovo model, right? That's how Todd Bean does it. Maybe that's how 343 does it. Too. Yeah, they, yeah, it, they, it's, all, it's all kind of the same thing. Um, again, I think Tovo is a little bit more accessible for like a grassroots club like ours, where we're starting a little bit... Uh, where we're starting a little bit, you know, we don't have players that like, like Jesse said, come from a soccer culture most of the time. Um, so we have to kind of warm them up to some of this stuff. And then we get into, we graduate them into the more complicated things and unopposed like patterns of play and all that stuff. That's like three, four, three has a lot of great stuff on that. Um, so kind of choreographed attacking moves essentially. Like, yeah, yeah. Rehe that right. you rehearse and then, mm -hmm. yeah, I want to talk a about each of those trainings, but, um, I, I want to just talk about my situation a little bit. I'm a volunteer coach. I, I'm sort of a de facto, like, would-be director of coaching, I guess, in that the commissioner of the league, also a volunteer, you know, he sort of t tells me, you know, do whatever you can to try to help the coaches. The problem is Chattanooga's 20 minutes north of me. So there's, a, there's definitely a good culture in Chattanooga of soccer and, like, a lot of people who are really serious about it. And, um, and then Dalton, Georgia, which is 40 miles away, has is like a, a town of like 35,000 or 40,000 that's half Latino and just has an incredible soc soccer culture. Mm -hmm. That's those are both nearby, but where I live, it's a desert. You know, like people don't know the game, the parents don't know the game, the volunteer coaches are generally not knowledgeable about the game or about, you know, sort of best practices for soccer development at the ages of five, six, seven, eight years old. So the challenge here is, the challenge for me is, how do I, what message do I deliver 
at the beginning of the next season? And how do I deliver it? I don't know if I can get people to come out to the field with me, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I'm even going to be able to do that. So it's got to be, it's got to be like super precise, just a precision strike of information Hmm. for some people who do not have a lot of time for it and don't, you know, they don't care. They don't particularly care about any of this stuff. You know, they're, they're just, they just want their kid to do something in the afternoon. Bells, do you have like a, uh, online like place where you can stream some content or like, some sort of podcast platform that you can use to deliver this message to people. I mean, I, I guess, but it's like preaching to the choir, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, no, I get it. It's a bit yeah. facetious, obviously, but it, yeah. it's, it's hard. It's hard to sell people on it because adults don't want to be told what to do. They really don't. And when you're dealing with volunteers, um, you, you just never know if anybody, if they're going to be pliable to, to that message. Um, I found that uh, the best way is, is to show them some charisma to go out to their practices and just be like, Hey, let, let me watch. Let's see. Or if they know that you have a team that plays well, um, they, they might ask. Um, yeah, but it, it's, it's really tough. The, the, the number one thing for me and even on, on the club side is I will go to them. And even if I knew it before, I will say something like, I just found this new way to help my wingers understand their role. Look at this video, tell me what you think and kind of make it a a discussion with them and help them kind of have some buy-in. And then it's like, I'm presenting them with the problem that I need their help solving. Um, Hmm. That may be a bit bit, um, hopeful uh, on my part to them, but... uh, I don't, somehow involving them in that conversation. I don't, I don't know, Jesse. So I think, yeah, Kirk, you hit the nail on the head. I think going bells, maybe this is something that you could try next season is actually going to their practices. Um, and maybe that's um, in week one, you have, you know, a lot of um, coaches in their teams that are going to be in a, in a similar space and that you can really kind of pop around and lead different parts of the practice. And then, you know, basically kind of be a mentor role for your coaches and just kind of, you know, show rather than tell them mm-hmm. what you're exactly, you know, um, the vocabulary that you're using, um, you know, what are some of like the main points they're trying to get across to the athletes and then how they can kind of check in to see if they've accomplished these things that we're trying to accomplish. Hmm. Okay. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. <laughs> Jesse, what's your, what do you have to add to like the ideal structure for rec soccer? Um, so I agree mostly, um, with what Kurt was laying out, um, as far as kind of that ball mastery at the younger level, um, you know, blending into, um, uh, kind of more of a, uh, a full team structure, um, at the ages, you know, as you get into the six to eight range, um, and above that, um, I would add, um, and this is, this might be outside of our reach, but I think it's worth discussing that I think that, um, we need more places where kids can play pickup. Um, I it. think whatever that looks like in each community, um, we need to start to kind of develop that infrastructure. And there's, there's, there's money out there. I tell you, there is money out there, especially when we start talking about some of the Title One schools that we have around in my area. Um, there is, you know, government subsidies. There's government fundings. There are grants to develop this type of thing. I would encourage anyone who's listening to this episode 
to reach out to your state organization today or tomorrow and, and talk to them about some of the ideas. Because once again, there is funding available. Um, I wasn't aware of this until this past weekend. I talked with um, MSYSA leadership um, and was told, hey, there's actually stipends available for just exactly what you're looking for. And I had no idea. Hmm. I had no idea. Um, there's, there's a Let's Play program that they've, they've um, successfully implemented. And I think 50 um, Title I schools, which I'm going to try to let roll out next spring when they develop, um, when they have it available again. Um, and this is basically an after-school program. So incorporating the elementary schools into it. Um, they're always looking for something for the kids to do after school. Um, being able to roll out some of these programs with funding, which means you can actually pay coaches, because once again, the state organizations are giving you the money to do so. Um, to run these types of programs with you know, some training for them as well is going to be put us all in a space where our kids are getting more touches. Um, there is this kind of you know, pickup environment of which I think is sorely lacking in this country, sorely lacking. Um, and just more space to play. And it's just more um, exposure. Yeah. Uh, so one of my friends actually, I don't know if the fund is still exists, but uh, he's, a, he's a PE teacher at one of the elementary schools here. And he went through the, I think it was called the U.S. Soccer Foundation. And they installed a futsal court at his elementary school um, for free. Like they, they paid for it and made it happen. I, I, his name, uh, my friend's name is Brian. He did a great job like going through and finding all of it. I don't, I don't know how he came across the program or how he convinced them that like Flagstaff the place to do it, but he made it happen. So it kind of goes back to that. Like if, if you're, if you're a motivated volunteer, you can make this happen. Um, you can get your state association like we did with, with revolution to sanction your, uh, to like officially sanction your AYSO program. It just takes a, a bit of doggedness and determination on your part. Hmm. What what was the you you saw something about a presentation about something in Colorado over the at the symposium Jesse right the, something going on in Aurora I did I did um, and this was called this was during one of their lunch learning lunch sessions or lunch learning sessions just short and sweet during lunch that you kind of after you ate everyone kind of went around to a different table and got a short sales pitch so to speak and this was in Aurora um, and they called it pick up soccer with a pinch of structure. And um, Aurora, for those people think of Colorado and Denver as being pretty homogenous, um, but Aurora is actually a very multicultural community, um, strong immigrant population. Um, so what they've developed is they've got three fields in the weekend evenings that are available under the lights, and it's on a main thoroughfare. So the kids can get there by public transpo. It sounds like pretty easily back and forth um, for those that have an issue with, you know, accessibility and transportation. And it's like I just said, it's pickup soccer with a pinch of structure. They come in. Um, it's, a, it's a very low one-time fee, which I think is also pretty heavily subsidized in many cases for many of the, their players. And they come in and they sign up and they're just kind of directed to a field where they've got 7v7 going or 5v5 or 9v9 or 11v11, depending on what the age range is and what they're trying to, what the numbers are. Um, so I was really inspired. By that, first off, you have to have the facilities, of course, but it was it was really fantastic. Yeah, how many so people we, do they have uh, working those nights? You know, like uh, is it like five folks or? That's a good question. That's a good question. I'm sure that was 
mentioned in the presentation, and I do not remember. <laughs> yeah. Too busy eating lunch. <laughs> Um, I, we do, ahead, we do if you don't mind bells we do something similar with our club um where we're we just rent out a school gym so we train in school gyms through the winter when there's snow on the ground but we'll rent one out an additional like friday night and i i was skeptical like somebody one of our coaches came to me with this idea like hey i want to rent out a gym on friday night we're just gonna do free play for the kids because we're always looking for that we we want them to be playing pickup and they do it at school or whatever at lunch but we wanted to give them another place. And I was like, ah, nobody's going to come on Friday night. Nobody's going to bring their kid. And we routinely have 40 to 50 kids that Dang. just show up on Friday night. Their parents are there. We don't let... So the way we run it is there's one coach on the field just to supervise, make sure, you know, insurance with the schools and all that stuff. And the parents aren't allowed to be there. They're not allowed to talk. It's just kids playing. And like they will organize, they'll play 5v5 or whatever it is that they want to do. Um, but I do think that's like a critical part of their development is like, we can talk about all kinds of positional play and, and club environments, rec, rec environments, but ultimately it's not enough, right? There's, there's other things that are needed to make those players really take the, the next step. Yeah. I, I, I love that stuff. I just wonder how. And I also love what Joy of the People is doing in St. Paul. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with that, Kirk, but... Um, yeah, like the blow-up fields, right? Yeah. Yeah, they do that. And they also... It's just, it's just free play all the time. And there's, there's somebody kind of supervising, but barely. And yeah. uh, it's great. You know, the kids are... I remember... I've told this story on the podcast before, but I remember Jimmy Conrad came to play uh, pickup there and he got, me got megged by some 12-year-old. Great they story. Loved they love to, uh, they just, uh, the kid was just trying to meg Jimmy Conrad the whole time. And, um, and he meg Jimmy Conrad and Jimmy Conrad was so mad. He was so mad. <laughs> you brought that up in the Jimmy Conrad interview, if I remember correctly. I did. Yeah, I asked him about that it. He, I don't even know. He, I don't know if he remembered it as clearly as I did because his eyes were red, bro. He was, <laughs> he was livid, he was right? Seeing red. Um, so, uh, let's, let's talk about some of these, um, some of these training courses. Okay. We, we gotta, we, I gotta stop here and say, Hey, if the kid, if a, if a five, six, seven, eight, nine year old kid isn't having fun at soccer practice, nothing else is going to work. So we gotta like, we gotta, I know we all agree about this. Um, but there will be people who are listening who maybe don't know that we agree with that for sure. Yeah. We agree. Right. They gotta yes. be having fun. Absolutely. It's, that's the key. Th that's a key thing. I mean, that's, that's, you know, youth sports across the spectrum everything you know the participation rates participation rates are, are falling off a cliff and that's it we got to make sure that they're having a good time again good news is ball mastery drills the kind of the sharks and minnows stuff the variations of that that uh or or ouch kids effing love that stuff yeah they yeah. they cannot get enough of it I, we play a game called pirates where it's not exactly like shark sharks and minnows but there's like islands uh made of cones that the kids have to dribble from from one to the other when the volcano explodes and uh, I'm the shark in the water, you know, between the islands and they, and I kind of just, I don't ever take the ball from anybody really. I just kind of make them change direction and choose where they're going to go. I, I, the kids would play that for, for an hour okay. every day and it's, and it's so good for them. You know, they, so, can I, so one thing that you said there were you, you're adding like, like passive pressure, right? This is a big Corver thing, right? And so I think this is a, a great, a great way to show that you can take like valuable and valid 
training methods. So like passive pressure from Corva where they're teaching kids ball mastery and you're teaching them how to Cruyff turn or something like that, right? And you don't just go into a 1v1 and say, figure out the Cruyff. You do it through steps, right? And you have them pull it back unopposed. And then the first opposition that they face is passive like that. So I think that's a great example, Bells, of where you created this, this absurd game where a volcano explodes and the pirates have to go to different islands, but you're adding passive pressure to them, right? So like you can, you can come up with a hundred different things. One of, one of my favorite things that I ever saw was when my kid was four, we were living in Cleveland at the time and my kid was in a, my oldest was in a rec program there. And the coach had them dribbling around the field. Again, one kid, one ball. This is kind of one of those outlier coaches, right? And he, the game was called T-Rex. And he basically said, you're not allowed to use your hands in soccer and T-Rexes have dumb, stupid little arms, right? And all the kids laugh. And so they're all running around with their arms tucked in and they're just running onto goals and shooting, right? And you're supposed to do a big T-Rex roar, right? Mm. It's, it's silly. It's, it, but it's, again, one kid, one ball. They're running around with T-Rex arms roaring. Like they're, and they're four. So good. They, like that's what you should be doing, right? And yeah. it's also this little lesson like, hey, don't use your hands because you have stupid little T-Rex arms, right? Right. Jesse. Yeah. So, I mean, I love what Kirk was talking about there um, when he talked about that passive pressure and just the idea and what, I, what, what he's referencing is, is you know, is a, a term in education, at least it's referred to as scaffolding. So this is an instructional practice where a teacher or a coach gradually removes guidance and support as students learn and become more competent. So like you said, right, um, at the beginning of, of this activity, you know, I definitely, I try not to call it drills. I, I slip up every once in a while, but I still really prefer how, the term how activity. How soccer of you, Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, so, you know, like letting them play with the ball, you know, one player, one ball in that, you know, non-pressure environment. And then putting in that press, that passive pressure, right? Like you talked about. And then eventually, you know, inserting a defender um, when, when we feel like they're ready. So I think yeah. that's something that we can also get across to our coaches and letting them know that we need to give them opportunities with the ball first without anybody on them. Because what that's going to lead to is what I call the, the boot it symptom. And allow you, if I may, to tell a quick story about the boot it syndrome. So I was Please. coaching... I was coaching last spring. I was coaching my son in the U7 uh, rec division. And there was another coach and the opposing team whose only instruction, and once again, bless her heart, these are all volunteer coaches, right? I get it. I'm not trying to put anyone on blast here. But only instruction to her team was booted. That's it. That's all I did for the entire game. That's all you heard from the other sideline. And it didn't matter where the ball was, right? And the problem with this, though, is it's quite effective at the U7 level because ball mastery is very challenging at that age. So, you know, when the ball is getting into the box or anywhere on their side of the field, this boot it, right, is putting it onto our defensive side. And then all the players can run onto it. And then, you know, we're having to defend, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I was talking to my assistant coach about it who doesn't have a soccer background, but it was absolutely fantastic. And I was just trying to explain to him like the principles of playing out of the back and why it's important and why boot it might be effective at the U7 level, but we're just not setting up these kids for success. That, that phrase is banned on my sidelines, like literally <laughs> banned. On my, Thank like, you. <laughs> it's part of like, welcome to my team. Here are some things that, I, that will not be heard on my sidelines. Um, but yeah. Sorry, the Buddha is a is a hot button for me. 
Yeah. Well, those, you know, T-Rex or pirates or, um, you know, diff- we do another one called zoo animals. I mean, these are, I, I, I honestly feel like you could just do drills like this, the whole practice, and it would be, it would serve the, the children perfectly well. Um, but I do want to, I think people listening might be, if they haven't taken any coaching classes, might be curious about what some of the, yeah. what some of the stuff offers. and. Yeah. um so after talking to you, uh, Kirk, I took, I'm taking the Tovo 7v7 mm-hmm. class and, um, and it is really good. I got to admit. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Um, but it is for, it's for kids who have already mastered the ball. Yeah. Pretty much. Like we're talking U10, U12. Yeah. You, you may disagree. You think you can introduce this stuff at U8? Uh, the, the earliest we do it is U8 and U9. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's possible. And it, again, it takes patience and you might not be able to do it lockstep. You know, the right. thing that I love about the Tovo 7v7 course is it's like, here's a 12 week program that you can just run for 12 weeks. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I had a U10 team and we had trained kind of the whole year on like my, my typical thing. And then I found that, that 7v7 course took it. And it was a, like the last 12 weeks of, of the year. And I was just like, you know what, we're just going to do it. Like these kids are fine. We're going to do this 12 weeks of training. And it was like something fresh for them to do. And they, I mean, they, they loved it. They loved it. And again, we're talking about kids that are playing clubs. So that it's at a higher level. And that's one distinction I want to make too, like T-Rex, pirates, sharks and minnows, all that is fun and it's, it's good. And it has a place in, in, at the grassroots level with young kids, you should absolutely be doing stuff like that. But if we are going to graduate, it can't just be, well, what's fun? What's fun for the 14-year-old kid? Well, if the, if the 14-year-old kid is only involved for fun, then we're not talking about the next Christian Pulisic, right? We're talking about a kid who we want to help fall in love with the game and plays grassroots for the rest of his life, right? Um, but you are at some point going to have to graduate them to more serious training. And I think, I think Tovo is a, is a great place to start. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know how you prefer that I go through these bells, I, but, um, well, we can go through them together. I mean, a uh, couple details on Tovo. So Todd Bean, like you said, he's Johan Cruyff's, uh, son-in-law located in Barcelona, I believe. Um, yeah, he's on yeah. Twitter and you can follow him there. It's 295 bucks for the 77 class. So this is not a class that anybody who is a casual soccer coach is going to take. Yeah. Um, but, and I do, I agree. I mean, like what you just said is totally true. It's, this is for, this is for more advanced kids and it's, uh, it's about becoming like a real soccer player, you know, yeah. moving yeah. off the ball, uh, scanning, choosing, you know, all the, all the stuff that. Uh, Scan, choose, do. Yeah. Can't just do, yeah. Bell, is this curriculum relevant at the grassroots level for like what we're talking about with like, we're talking volunteer coaches and such. I have not. I don't, I, it's not relevant to my situation. I mean, it's relevant to me cause I'm fascinated by it. And of I, course. and I, and I'm, I have tried to introduce Rondos a little bit with the U8s and I, I am not willing to concede that there has been no success. I think there's been a little bit of success and there's been a little bit of a light bulb going off for some of the kids. I've done it very lightly, very, uh, very little, but, um, but yeah, it's not, it's not relevant for me. The, for me, we got to get to, we got to get nine year olds who know how to make a soccer ball, do what they want first, you know? Yeah. Can Um, I, can I, 
go ahead. Make a, a, a suggestion there. Sometimes when we go to rondos or positional play, coaches want to go like, okay, well, we got to go to 4v1 because that's where you start or 3v1 or whatever it is, right? And sometimes those games don't really make a whole lot of sense to the kids, especially like at U8. If you can get yeah, them playing 2v2 plus 2. So like for me, when you add a, when you add an additional neutral or 2 or even 2v2 plus 4, whatever it is where you have two kids playing in the middle, but they also have numbers along the outside where they're just like, they know that if they're in trouble in the middle, they can play the ball out wide. Like that's when those light bulbs start going off. Like, oh, there's a lot of pressure here in the middle of the field. I bet there's a player wearing a pink penny that's a neutral um, on the outside that I can play it to, right? And then we can get it back. So that sometimes those more positional games, like I made that distinction earlier, are a little bit easier for kids, especially grassroots kids to grasp. Again, not saying that like grassroots soccer should be all positional play. Um, but that might be a place where you could start that's a little bit easier for them to, to understand bells. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but to go back to answer your question, Jesse, like really what I, the, the question that is most pressing for me is how do we get the U6 coaches and the U8 coaches who don't know that much about soccer to do a better job of just allowing the children to have fun mastering the ball. Yes. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's to me is like the pressing matter but i i do want to i mean i thought i thought this yeah. tova class was great and it would be it for me sets up like a sort of a, a vision for if you can get your grassroots kids even at the even in rec soccer to be able to master the ball by the time they're 10 yeah you could totally when i coach my daughter's u7 um uh, 7v7 team when she goes up to u10 i'm totally going to try to do what um what tovo prescribes um yeah. like i mean i'm not gonna be a uh nazi about it but i'm gonna but i'm gonna try you know yeah because i think because i think that would that if you can do that stuff if you learn how to combine how to pass and move and and play beautiful soccer with teammates that is a that is an addictive drug you know yeah. it is uh it's a wonderful thing to have your eyes open to and the, for me the thing is it can be done it, there's, there's no rule that says that kids can't learn things, right? In fact, it's the exact opposite. Kids will rise to whatever challenge you give to them most of the time, especially ones that are competing in sports. Um, and there's a couple really good programs out there. Uh, Michael Carroll, who's on Twitter, I think he's now Coach Mike, at Coach Mike or something like that, or at Coach Mike SG1. He's part of this SG1 Academy in Houston. And that program is incredible. I, I don't know if you guys have ever come across him, but I mean, no. he has U7s and U8s. Again, we're talking about people who come from a soccer culture, right? Their families are, are, it's all soccer all the time. They've already mastered the ball by the time they get there. But these kids play 7v7 positional play. Like if you watch them, you're like, why doesn't the US men's national team play like this, right? Like it's like they are, they, they are doing exactly that right? Exactly what so oftentimes the national team pretends to do on the, on the global stage. Like they're doing it against kids their, their age. Uh, so it can be taught in the right environment. And I think, so Bells, like you and your director of coaching role there, you I, having- I, like, I want to be clear. I have no official title. I just- Oh, what I'm- well, I'm, I'm coach. So I'm, what, I, I aspire your, to be the director of coaching. What's your organization? So you aspire, I'm going to make you the director of coaching because again, a lot of times like with with these organizations, if you just say like, hey, I have a vision for this. Mm -hmm. Let me be the, like, name me the director of coaching and I'm going to take off. 
it's, yeah, it's that's what where we I are did. right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's what I did with, with the AYSO board that was here. I was like, hey, I, I want to take this over. I have a vision if you'll let me do it. Uh, I think we can get the right people involved. Name me the technical director and we'll get it going. Right. And it's not, it's not about giving you, it's not about me like, oh, I'm a technical director. Like I, it's a grassroots club. I get nothing from it. I don't, I'm not paid. So there's nothing for me in it, but other than like some sort of official blessing from the organization that like, okay, this is the direction we're going to take it. Go. So if you want to be the director of coaching, I'm telling you right now, you can have it, Bells. Uh, thanks, Kurt. <laughs> just yeah, no, I, think it's, I think it's true. But in your capacity there, if you say, hey, I took this course and this is what I want our kids to be doing, that goes back to the question earlier of like, how do we get coaches to buy in? Like show them some video, show them what you've learned in Tovo and be like, hey, we can get there. If we can get kids mastering the ball, we can have our kids play like this and show them a video that every parent is going to want that for their kid, right? Um, so for me, that's, uh, that's probably how you do it in, in your specific situation. Yeah. It's a, it's a long ways. It's a long ways down the road to, yeah. to introduce those it is a long concepts. Road. But, but let's talk about, um, you know, go back to the U6, U8 level. It seems like that's where you want to go back to, Je- Jesse, right? Yes. Uh, wh- wh- you, what, what do you think of the U.S.? You've taken several of the grassroots USSF courses. What do you think of those? I have. So I've taken the U.S. soccer grassroots 4v4 online, the 7v7, and the 11v11 in person. And I'm also signed up for a D-level course, um, which is a hybrid course, which begins in November. Um, I think. Um, for like bang for your buck, you know, which is $25 for a grassroots course. I think um, that they serve the purpose for kind of like that target audience that we're talking about here. Um, I don't see, you know, I haven't investigated the Tovo courses yet, but I can't think of a, a single parent. Um, even if we were a sponsor of the $295 price tag with my club, that would go through with that program um, for my volunteer yeah, it coaches. Would, it's, it's totally, it's, we might as well ask somebody to land on the money. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Um, but back to the grassroots, I think they're, you know, they're pretty repetitive to be honest, especially because USSF makes you complete three of them before you can advance to a D course. Um, and And a lot of of them have to be in person to advance to the D course too, right? Correct. Correct. So I'm already screwed on that. I'm going to be up to five grassroots (laughs) courses before that. It's a lot of overlapping information. Um, but I think that the thought process is right. Um, and that what we're all just talking about here, a new coach that's coming in for the first time that just has no idea, that doesn't have the background, that's intimidated by the game. Um, you know, it's not a part of the culture locally, you know, where I live, where Bells lives. Um, so it gives them a good snapshot of what they need to be able to do. Yeah. I, I found when I first took the 4v4 course and then I, I, took, it, I took the 4v4 and the 9v9 course, I really liked them. Um, and got a lot out of it but uh here's the problem i think and i agree i think i agree that they do a good job of giving like uh someone who's uninitiated a good snapshot but you know we talked about this off air a little bit jesse but the but the barriers to um actually getting to that course are 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 not insignificant you have to take a 90 minute uh abuse course like that you know highly focused on sexual abuse and mandatory reporting super important stuff no yep. doubt mm-hmm. uh a lot of it focused on high schoolers you know high the high school age yeah. scenarios and um 
So you got to do that. That's, that's required before you can take any of the grassroots courses. And then that's the safe sport, U S center for safe sport training. And then you also have to take a health and safety training, which is, you know, 30 minutes of just sort of basic stuff about weather and concussions and cardiac arrest. And then you can take uh, a grassroots course. And I'm again, I don't know if it's like landing on the moon level of unrealistic, but it's pretty unrealistic in my community to ask somebody to do those things. And uh, I wonder how do you, how do you do it? How do you get people to take a grassroots class, which I agree is useful, but how do you get them to take it in at Calvert? So our, what our organization does is that we, um, if, if, um, a volunteer coach signs up for one of the grassroots courses and pays the $25. They get a free registration for their child. Mm. And then that would continue as long as they're coaching. Um, and we're not saying that we charge a lot of money for registration, but it's a hundred dollars for spring or a fall. Um, and that would be something that would be compounded. Of course, as long as they're coaching, they would, they would still have that. Um, you they know, just have coaching, to get the license the one time and then the one their time. kid is free as long as they coach. Correct. With the caveat that as their child moves through the ranks and starts to play at, um, you know, with just more players on the pitch, um, that they would have to do with the, you know, the 4v4 and then the 7v7 and then 9v9 and then the 11v11 if they're still within it. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Um, but I think that, you know, that has been a, a, an excellent carrot for our population. I agree with you, Bells. Um, the two hours of pre-training courses before you can take the actual course um, can be cumbersome. Um, but those topics are extremely important. When we're talking about safe sport, sexual abuse, um, we've seen what's going on in youth sports right now. So I think more education is always positive in that regard. Um, so that's kind of one side of it. How about this, Bells? Have you ever thought about um, looking into where the trainings are offered and then trying to align one of your coaches' trainings preseason with one of these U.S. soccer grassroots course in person that you would be able to help support in your community. That's a, that's a good idea. Um, so do it. So have every, like try to make it so that all the coaches come to one in, in-person training together with a U.S. soccer instructor. So you, so, so basically at that level, it's, the, it's not even U.S. soccer. It's whoever your state organization is. Yeah, yeah. Again, mine is MSYSA. Um, so yours would, would be different. And just reaching out to them and then letting them know, hey, these are the amount of coaches that we'll have. This is what I envision. Just reach out. And like those, that's one thing I, the, one of my big takeaways this past weekend was like your state organization is there to serve you, your club, right? Yeah. That is their job. So like the more connections you can have with that state org and leadership, the better. I, so I don't want to kvetch too much about this, but the, the issue is, so when I was, I was looking at like, if I, if I ever want to take the D course, I have to do two in-person grassroots classes because I've only done the online ones so far. So I still have these two in-person grassroots classes to take. Uh, allow me to interject. The, the in-person are worlds better than the online version. I believe it. I believe it. But the closest one for me, I'm in Chattanooga. It's not a yeah. super small town, um, you know, 500, 600,000 people in the metro area. And uh, the closest one for me is two and a half hours away in Cookville, Tennessee, way up in the north. Uh, central part of the state, or I have to go to suburban Atlanta, it's a, a two, uh, two and change hours drive. So, I mean, who knows when I'm ever going to get to the D license, you know, it's, it, it may take a while. Once again, I think reaching out to your state org and letting them know that you might have like, you know, this quantity of coaches that would be willing to take this in-person course and say, Hey, let's, let's try to, you know, roll it out. 
Fair enough. A lot of times the D courses are put on by specific clubs uh, and then you can kind of like join it. So it's a, it's a club reaching out to the organization saying, hey, we have a dozen coaches that want to get their D license. They, all, the required, all the requirements are met. It's like when I did my D license, I did it in Prescott, which is about an hour south in between me and Phoenix because one of the Prescott clubs was, was hosting it. So it was a little okay. bit better. A lot of those are hosted by the, the RSL Academy down in Tucson. So that's like a four-hour drive from me. Um, but I was able to find one this one time to go and, and do that. So it is, it is a pain because you have to go in person. I think since COVID, they've, they've kind of gone to even more of a hybrid. Uh, when I was in the C course, it was kind of like, it was even more hybrid than it used to be. I think for the C, you used to have to go for an entire week at the beginning and then like six months of training online and then a week at the end. And by the time I got there, it was only a week in the middle. That was it. But yeah. Okay. That's helpful. I, I, um, I need to stop complaining and start doing something about it. Huh? <laughs> yeah. It uh, does seem like U.S. soccer is making more accommodations to make this much more accessible and easy for folks to accomplish, which includes, you know, more locales, at least around us. Can, okay. can I say something real quick about the state associations? I kind of alluded to it earlier, but our club, depending on where you look at it from, if you look at it from, it's like the unreserved proton thing, right? Uh, it's like, if you look at it from AYSO, we're an AYSO extra program. But if you look at it from ASA, the Arizona Soccer Association, it's just a club, right? So we are registered with both organizations. Um, we're affiliated with the local region here. That's how we keep our costs down. But then it took a couple of years, I'm not going to lie, working with the Arizona Soccer Association to get us uh, to get like their official blessing to be sanctioned by them as an actual club in Arizona soccer. Um, so I, I just wanted to second what Jesse's saying. Like, these are people who want to help. They want more kids playing soccer. We pay them $35 a head per kid too. So they like, they want that money too. Right. Um, so there are ways to make things happen. If you, if you do just start reaching out. Okay. This is not a paid advert by any means, because we all know scuffed is commercial free soccer podcasting at its <laughs> finest, but the Mojo app has been a real revelation for a lot of my coaches that don't have that background and baseline in that young grassroots soccer. Um, if anyone's not familiar with it, I can just give a really quick rundown. Um, I'm pretty not new. familiar with it. Yeah. Okay. I'm not Great. either. I just downloaded it, but okay. I don't know what it is. Check it out. It's pretty new on the scene. I actually had kind of like a, a sales call with one of the founders in the spring. Um, and basically, you know, like most kind of versions right here, there's the, the free and the paid version, right? You come in on the free and they're getting, you're trying to get more subscribers on their paid. Um, but there is on the free, which I am on right now, even though our club has bought kind of like their organizational model, which I don't have to talk about. Um, but the free model that anyone could download today, and I would encourage people to do so, once again, Mojo app, is, um, has loads of training. I mean, we're talking high quality videos like shot in like the LA, the LA Galaxy Stadium. If I understand it correctly, one of the founders worked for ESPN or Disney or something. It kind of had that background and had that. Um, those connections already. And one thing I love about the videos, they're short and sweet. They're really game oriented, like you talked about, Bells, already. And at the end, they give just like three words of wisdom, right? Because it could be like, head up, you know, look for your teammate, move into space. So these would be the three things that, you know, the coach is telling their athletes during that mm -hmm. activity. And I talked, like I said, I had a sales call with, with one of the founders in the spring. 
And he said, look, you know, this is totally geared towards the grassroots coach who's just getting off work. He's got a couple of kids. He's got a million things going on. He's driving to soccer practice with his kid in the back. And he thinks to himself, uh-oh, I don't have anything to do. What are we going to do today? <laughs> what are we going to do today? And it's like, boom, boom, boom. And even myself, somebody who's, who like, who's a sicko, absolutely. He's a fanatic of the game um, who devours everything I can. I find myself at times, because life often gets in the way, you know, I've got the Mojo app in front as I'm driving. And I'm like, all right, there's a couple of quick, good ideas, things that I can implement today. Huh. So, so the, they, they have um, activity ideas. Call uh, drills, in, just call drills. <laughs> Don't drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> uh, in, for that, that are focused on ball mastery and stuff. And yeah. it's yeah. like good, it's good stuff. Okay. It is, it is. Um, is it perfect? No, of course not. But like for what, for, for a free product, first off, and for what and kind of they're offering, I think it's, it's a revelation for once again, these coaches who just don't have the slightest clue about what they're going to do at practice today. And it gives them very specific instructions, you know, these games that are fun and it's got the video, but then it's got, you know, like a lesson plan as well below it. Um, but you can get everything you need out of the video if you need it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's great. That's a great suggestion because I think that, I mean, we've talked about it already a little bit, but that the the challenge that I face is how, what message do I deliver? What very brief message do I deliver? How do I deliver it? And how, with the goal of just improving the trainings for U6 and U8 soccer players in my community. And I mean, anything that helps uh, is welcome, you know? So, uh, I mean, I have some ideas too about like sort of some prescriptive ideas, but I don't know that we need to get, get into those. Any other thoughts, guys? We have gone an hour and a half. We can, we can probably start winding down here. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, I think if anything, this conversation has kind of shown me that there probably is a place for prescription with like these newer coaches, right? So Jesse just brought up the, 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 Mo, the Mojo app, is that what it was? Called? Yeah, right? yeah, M O M O J O. Uh, yes, Mojo or, Sports. Or just yeah. just in case you, there's other things called Mojo on um, the App Store. Yep. Or bells. You you mentioned like we could get into it and we could go through all these things. And I mean, it's fun to discuss ideas. That's what coaches love to do, right? I did this thing, right? And it mm. was the the best thing ever. And it, so we all love to kind of thump our chest about what we found. And maybe maybe that's where the conversation goes eventually. Is how do we how do we help together to to push that out to people. Um, but all right, I, you've talked me into it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two things, Bells, actually, um, to add. First off, I would say because like we're trying to you know create that culture and more exposure, something I have tried to do with with my team is just encouraging the families to just watch some soccer. And because what I found, it could be in TV, that could be at a local college game, um, but you know, there's a thousand games in one that you can find on YouTube and on TV in any given weekend. Because what I found as my kids were coming in, my athletes, um, that they just didn't have any idea about, you know, the fluidity of the game, the structure. And I think, and my own son does, because he's kind of, an, you know, a sicko brought in by birthright. And so, but, you know, these families really don't, and these children don't. So once they can kind of start watching where their game is available to them and starting to just kind of understand how the game moves and even just the rules of the game. I think that's going to, you know, once again, place more exposure and kind of 
bring more folks kind of into the fold with that baseline knowledge that we're all talking yeah. about. Okay. Yeah. I, I think if I have one takeaway from the whole thing, it's that it's all like all these conversations are good and they need to happen. And like, we have to have training environments for our kids, but like Jesse's hit on two big other components of, of like how players develop. And one is like, is there are, is there a culture at home of the game and, and pick up soccer, right? Those are without those two, we could have the greatest club and greatest rec programs in the world. And it's not, it's not going to translate to what the ultimate goal is, right? The U S lift in the world cup. Uh, it's, it's not going to be enough. We have to do, we have to do those other things as well. Um, but this is one of those other components that has to be right. We have to train children in soccer in a way that makes them love the game because it's yeah. not, it's, we're not going to have the culture at home in the next 20 years where I live, you know, it's just not going to happen. And it's not, we're not going to have a pickup culture in the next 20 years where I live. It's just not going to happen. These kids have to love soccer and then, mm-hmm. you know, those things have to materialize later. I mean, there's just, there's no quick way, quick route yeah, I to mean, it. You know? You're talking more about generational change yeah, right yeah. now, basically. But I think, you know, what we've been able to discuss today, I think are some short-term fixes, which we're all looking for. Um, and kind of on a more macro level, what are some things that we can start to attack in our own communities and kind of bring to the, bring to the table to just, you know, once again, you know, raise that baseline up just, just a few. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two, uh, two things I wanted to mention. So, so my, my, my prescription for coaches in my area would be, yeah, let's do the three V three or, you know, up to three V three when they come on the field. Cause kids, kids love that. And it's a good way to just get things started. Uh, then sharks and minnows where I'm chasing them around, applying a passive pressure in their half. In just a half of half field, they're just trying to stay away from me and not let me kick the ball out of bounds. I never do. I never kick the ball out of bounds. I just keep passing. You're nice. Them. You're nicer than I am. When I play that, I definitely I rip a couple out depending on the circumstances. I, I shouldn't say never. I do. I if if one kid gets a little cocky, I'll knock him out. Oh and yeah. Then, and then he becomes a, and then he becomes a shark. And then everybody, all the all the minnows die immediately because the that that kid goes after him hard. Of course. So then we go to then we go to zookeeper, which is uh two two cages on either side of the goal in the corner um they all get to say what animal they are i'm the zookeeper i stand in the goal i fall asleep as i fall asleep they escape their cages as they they have to go up to midfield and round a cone and make it back to one of the cages before i kick their ball out of bounds and um i i wake up and i yell at them i said what how did these animals get out of their cages and they just go they, they go crazy and then they dribble all over and um they love that game they love it let me add one thing to that one bells um and i think i've seen this in your notes or and something that you've you've thrown out there any of those games in which the the athlete or the child can can stop and take control of the ball inside an enclosed space i think is really important as well yeah that's oh that's crucial in all of these drill well not the first one but in but in uh, Zookeeper and Pirates, you have to stop the ball with your feet inside the square that is your yeah. safe spot. Yes. Because kids will want to dive on the ball or, or dribble right through the Oh, they're the just blasting and, right through it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't, then you're out. You're a, you have to become a shark if you, if you do that. And then, we, then I, we just do a lot of 1v1 attacking drill. One, pass, one kid passes to another kid, uh, and they, they both have a goal behind them, and then they just go at it. And they love that. And then... By that time, practice is almost over. You can scrimmage a little bit, or it's a, that seems like a plan. I know that plan would work for the kids yeah. in my area. 
I think it would work for most U6, most U6s across the country. I just don't know how to get other people to do it. So I've got some new ideas though. Thanks to you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. 343, three, you know, Gary, Gary Clyburn gets a lot of, I, you know, maybe well, well justified shtick for his, uh, for his shtick online. He's a very argumentative guy, but I do think that, that, um, I took the seven free training, like little training mm-hmm. modules. Um, so I didn't pay, I, I didn't pay yet. I might, I might yet, Gary, don't worry. But, um, but I did the seven free ones and they're, they're good. They're a lot. It's a lot like the Todd Bean stuff, except like you discussed earlier, Kirk, more, a little bit more of like the choreographed stuff, maybe a pass into zone 14, a layoff to a different player, and then a pass into the Man City zone and then a cutback. So they want to like teach the kids these patterns so that when the game when they get into the game, they're like, oh yeah, I can pass it here. And yeah. uh, that's a little different from what Todd Bean would recommend. Yeah, so like the Tovo V1 course, right? There's, there's not a whole lot of like tactical application of it, right? It's you go from a rondo, kind of like I've described our practices to a positional game to a training game, which is like, the, my favorite one, I'll give it real quick, is a 5v5 in the middle with keepers and big goals and then four neutrals. So you have eff- effectively both teams playing in a 4-3-3 when they have the ball. And when they don't, it's six on 11, right? Um, so like that, for me, like maybe that's six on 10. I don't know. Doing math on the fly. It's all right. I'm Marine, so I'm an idiot. Um, so like that for me is is a great place for like kind of a grassroots club to start. But as the kids start to get more serious and the teams get more sophisticated, you do have to teach them patterns of play. You do have to teach them. This is a way that you can break down this low block or whatever. This is something that you can look for. And that's when you start getting into like the false nine, for example, he comes in and he lays off the pass, like the ball into zone 14, like you mentioned, right. And it's a layoff here. And then the fullback can overlap and you have to rehearse all that beforehand. This is where my military experience like speaks to it, right? Everything in the military is choreographed. You walk through on a sand table and then in an actual training environment, and then you go to war and you do it. Yeah. Um, that may be too strong of a metaphor for people. I, I apologize if it is, but um, the 343 course is legitimately great. Um, what I love most about it is that over time, more and more is layered in. So, like, you do it, you're and this is a great business model. So kudos to Gary. Gary's a great guy. If you talk to Gary one-on-one, he's, he's fantastic. I, I, I love the way he sees the game. I love what he's fighting for. Like, I, want, I want somebody to hold the line, right? And that's how, that's how I view Gary. And like, he and Brian have great curriculum. So year one is you know, you'll get a bunch of curriculum that you can use. And then year two, another layer is added on and year three and year four. And I think I'm on like year, I think I've maxed it out. I think year five is the last one where it talks about player profiles. And now you want to start thinking about what are your attacking mids look like? What skill set do they have? If you're playing this style of play, what does a striker need? What does a center back need? Um, So there's always something new for you to go for um, and, and, and to learn. And this is something that a lot of like very successful coaches have used and implement it around the country. It's something that you can do too. If you're, if you find yourself coaching a club team and looking for resources, this is a spot where, where I would start, uh, is the three, four, three curriculum. So Gary, I'll take my check in the mail. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, I think it's hard for some people that, like, they're like, they're so mad at how Gary is on Twitter that they can't, um, even hear the name three, four, three without, uh, getting triggered. But I, but I do, 
I, it seems like a useful training to me, what limited experience I have with it. But I think for all intents and purposes from today's conversation is that, you know, the three of us and people of our ilk need to be, you know, invested in these types of trainings and courses, whether it's yes. the Tovo, the Gary, U.S. Soccer, and then be able to kind of disseminate that knowledge, you know, to our volunteer coaches in a way that befits them, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of, that honors their values and the communities in which we live and more importantly yep. is going to make that connection with them. That's yeah, what I, was go, driving I, at. I can imagine. I, I mean, do you, how, what do you think of Malbecs? You know, saying that to the, <laughs> saying that to my volunteer. We're going to start with Malbecs. All right. <laughs> That's what I was driving at with you, like taking taking the role for yourself, Bells. Like the fact that you're taking these trainings and can have that vision. Like take that role for yourself, and then you go evangelize to the people around you. Like I think I think that's the model. Yeah, there's a real there's a real filtering process that has to go on. It's like yeah, a cross cultural yeah. experience, kind of. Yeah, can we close with a little bit of humor? Sure. Okay, I've got a I've got a pitch for both of you. All right, for a new segment, I'm scuffed, and I and I ran this by Bell's briefly earlier, so he gave me the thumbs up, which is great. So new segment pitch. All right, and this is called working title: Use Soccer Coaches Corner. All right. Okay. Blatant okay. ripoff of Bill Simmons' podcast, his bit Parent Corner, but that's fine. So, and basically just talking about like our experiences could be our own children or it could be our athletes kind of in the, the youth soccer realm. I'll go first. If you guys don't want it, I'm just kind of springing this on you. If you don't have a story, that's fine, but uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and go first. Exactly. I'm sure you've got plenty of ammunition spells. So, all right. So mine is about my son. Um, so his name is Julian. All right. And I call him Julian instead of Julian because he's almost six. He was born in Medellin, Colombia, um, where I lived for my job as an elementary educator in international schools from 2015 to 2019. Bells, you and I have talked about Medellin um, briefly and what a lovely city. city it is. Amazing city, amazing country. So, you know, we're both bilingual. I've always spoken Spanish exclusively together since day one. So anyhow, he's a great kid for the most part. Um, but like many children his age, bedtimes can be, can be rough, can be a drawn out process. So, you know, a test of wills, a chess match. So recently, what I've, I came to this realization the other night um, is that we've un, unwittingly assumed the roles of ref, that's me, and then the player subbing out in the final five minutes of a 1-0 game. That's him. All right? Mm-hmm. And Julian has absolutely embraced his comable heritage being from Colombia. The time wasting is just creative, persistent. Um, and the only thing really missing is this, you know, the elevated hand clap to the imagined spectators witnessing the spectacle. <laughs> um, it starts with all the classics, right? Yo tengo hambre, papa, right? I'm hungry. Um, bueno, yo te doy un plátano, right? All right, I'm going to give you a banana, man. Quiero otro libro, por fin. Um, ya no, papi, ya leímos tres juntos, amiguito. Ya, ya es tiempo. All right, we already read three books. All right, we're going to continue. Um, tengo que ir al baño, et cetera, et cetera. So I've taken to giving him like the classic ref move now where I'm putting my hand on one shoulder, right? And with the other, and I'm showing you this because we're on video, with the other, I'm kind of, you know, extending towards the bedroom, right? <laughs> extending, I'm giving him that move in the evenings. And the only thing missing for him now, and I'm, maybe this will happen tonight, I can only be so lucky, is for him to, you know, when I put the hand on the shoulder um, with the eye contact, you know, um, is for him to go down in a heap, clutching his yeah. hammy or something, yeah. right? That I'm pleading for the trainer to come out with the magic spray. But his commitment is truly impressive. Um, If it wasn't, you know, 30 to 45 minutes past bedtime on most nights, I would really tip my cap to him. Yeah. So what I got from that is that Jesse is raising the greatest conca 
ever <laughs> that, that will ever play for the U.S. national team, right? Is that, is that, you just got to wait 13 years for Julian to, to make it through, right? I can't wait. <laughs> but the, but the underlying point that all, you know, all three to six year olds are conca caffers at heart when it comes to bedtime. Oh yeah. Is a uh, man, hundred percent true. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything that funny. I did. I, my kid, my oldest kid, my nine year old, or he's not nine, he's eight. He's not a, he's not a sports guy. He, pl- he plays soccer. He didn't want to play soccer this fall. And then he decided at the very end of the summer, he was going to play for a, for a different team. Not the one I coach. I coach my daughter's team. And um, I was like, great. I got him signed up. He, he got, he was a late registrant. He joined the team. He doesn't try very hard, but it's okay. He's out there. He's getting some exercise and some social skills and stuff. And, but it, but on defense, it's an absolute disaster. The coach <laughs> continues to play him as like, I mean, I'm not getting involved with the coach on the tactics or anything. It's seven V seven. They have two kids playing sweeper, basically, you know, just waiting at the box. And then it's just a huge gap. And then yeah, I mean, it's, it's a mess. Anyway, my son gets roasted every time he goes on the field. He's not even in the universe mm. of what is happening, you know? And, um, I'm, Totally cool. He's a great kid. Of course. Uh, very smart. But there was a text from one of the <laughs> text from one of the moms that went to the group text that said, somebody has been bullying. Two boys have been bullying my son, um, calling him uh, short, deaf, and blind. He's not any of those things. He's maybe a little short, I guess. Uh, but, is, but this kid's also like the, one of the best players on the team. And he happens to be uh, my son's defending part, defending partner in the back. So, like, I've wondered how frustrated he gets at my son uh, because he's like, you know, he's out there just battling hard all day. And Gideon just watches the other. I mean, he doesn't watch, but like he's moving in slow motion. So I went to my son and I, 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 I was like, so did you call uh, just sort of spraying it on him? Did you call Liam? short deaf and blind and he's like i did not call him short i and i did not call him blind i did call him deaf and i'm like well how did that happen and he said he accused me at the chick-fil-a playground of calling him blind and i did not do it it must have been somebody else in the playground and then they were arguing about it at practice the next day and the kid, the kids put his fingers in his ears and Gideon said, what are you deaf? You can't hear anymore. You know, cause they were, they were arguing about whether my son had called him blind. So anyway, <laughs> I thought about it more and I was like, the reason this kid is mad at you is because you don't try very hard on the soccer field. And that's the root of this. So I, it was a good opportunity to be like, Hey buddy, I think there may be something going on here where like he doesn't appreciate having to defend with you. Mm. I didn't say it exactly those words. <laughs> But uh, something along those lines and, you know, maybe you could try a little harder. And he's like, yeah, that's probably true, you know, which is a huge uh, concession from him. So I don't know. That's my youth soccer story. I love it. I've got faith in Gideon. Onward and upward. He'll be fine. Just not. He's, he's not going to be the next uh, national team player. I don't think. <laughs> I, I do have one. Um... Yes. It's one that I like to share. It's happened probably three or four years ago. My oldest, who plays on that 2010 team that I referenced, I uh, came to practice late. So I, I, work in, I work in the operating room in the hospital. A lot of times I'm going straight from there to practice, sometimes in scrubs, sometimes not. Uh, and I got there. My wife had to bring him. 
and he was like 25 minutes late to practice. Uh, so that Saturday in our game, he sat out the first 25 minutes of the game. And when I got home, my wife was really upset. Like, hey, why was he sitting out? What was going on? What, did, he, you know, did he have a bad week in training? I was like, no, he was 25 minutes late to practice on Thursday. So he sat out for 25 minutes. And she goes, well, yeah, but he was late for me. Like, that doesn't seem very fair. And I said, yeah, it doesn't seem fair, does it? <laughs> it like, she, it did not go well. Like, I, I thought I was so clever for saying this, like coming up with this perfect punishment and like less alert, like this, this opportunity to teach my wife, like, get him there on time. I can be there on time. And I've come from surgery. Uh, it did not go over that well. Wait, why was she, why was she 25 minutes late again? Uh, I plead the fifth on that. I have no idea. Right? <laughs> okay. But he happened to be late and yeah, that was my opportunity to be like, I enjoyed that creative time. solution, but I could also yeah. see how your wife would take umbrage with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me essentially being like, no, no, no. It's not fair that you got him there late. You, you are, you are a hundred percent correct. Yeah. Umbridge was took for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. Thank you. Um, I'll put uh, links to you guys to, well, definitely to Kirk's Twitter in the show notes and um, make sure you can find him. Any, what you, how can people find out about Flagstaff Revolution? Counterpress. Uh, so, I mean, you can follow the Counterpress at uh, Counterpress underscore. If you're not an MLS or an LAFC fan, it's not for you. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> uh, we'd love to have you, but it's not for you. Uh, but uh, more importantly, FlagstaffRevolution.org is, is our club website. Um, there is some curriculum on there on like position guides and uh, basic philosophy um, that you are more than welcome to look at and use however you see fit. Please reach out if you have questions about how to run your club program. But I, I've, I'm here to help. Awesome. Awesome. And Jesse, does, do you want people to find you or not? Um, yeah, I usually try to keep a low profile these days. These days Bella, Find him in know? the American Outlaws section. <laughs> exactly. I will. Uh, that's typically where I where I where I lie. So that, look for me there. Okay. Hey, uh, thanks everybody. Thanks both of you. Appreciate your the generous use of your time. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you.